This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here once again to talk to you about video games and how they make us feel and and how they tell their stories. And I don't know exactly where this episode is going to go because the idea for it kind of sprung half-baked into my head and I told it to Dylan and Dylan went, hell yeah, let's go. I'd been thinking about this a little bit in relation to the episodes we've done over the last few Uh, where first Dylan and then I went into sort of our gaming history and the games that we remember as being sort of formative to the way that we like to play games and the kind of games we like to play and the the way that we like to think about games. And I had this idea to take a a slightly different tack and just have a conversation about games or elements of games that we remember and are nostalgic for or have fondness for that aren't really around anymore and what those added to the games that they were in or what those added to gaming as a landscape in the case of of whole genres or whole games uh and also maybe like what you know a more modern take on that could be or or where that element of gaming has gone in the modern world and that is literally as far as we got in pre-show discussion so i'm excited to see what comes next yeah we'll we'll see so can i tell you what put this in my brain Yes. I was on the L here in Chicago. I was heading uh, heading to a class the other day, and it was evening, and, and by and by evening, I mean like 4.30, uh, because daylight <laughs> savings time is over, and so it becomes dark at 5. But the sun was setting, and it, it caught this like church tower in a really pretty light. And I looked on it, at, I looked at this this church tower as we passed in the L, and my brain just went, that looks like a th- something I would have clambered up in Assassin's Creed in 2009. Oh, yeah, and yeah. it just hit me the degree to which, like, obviously the Assassin's Creed games are still around. Assassin's Creed Valhalla is putting out, I believe it's 87,000th piece of DLC, probably next year. But there's an element to, like, those very early Assassin's Creed games I don't want to say an element. Let me let me rephrase that. There is like a kind of holistic whole that games like that were and and a, a piece of sort of the industry that games like the early Assassin's Creed games kind of took up that doesn't really exist anymore. The modern Assassin's Creed games are like big open world third person RPGs where you happen to have the ability to climb on some stuff. Uh and that kind of got the wheels spinning in my head of like wow, there's a lot of games that I really love that just, like, it's not just that those games don't exist, it's, like, that genre doesn't exist anymore. And I think platformers is one that, like, do platformers still exist? Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm playing Sonic Frontiers as we yeah, speak, so- Chris, like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> but, I mean, I guess that's kind of the thing, is, like, there was a time where platformers were a huge chunk of the industry, and now it's, like, we get a Mario game every console generation. Uh-huh. 
we get a Sonic game or two every uh, once every couple of generation, like every generation or two. The the last Sonic game that came out before Frontiers that people universally liked was a decade ago. Holy shit! Was <laughs> was Generations a decade ago? Generations was a decade ago. I'm we're we're so old, uh, <laughs> but like obviously you know the world of people making games is huge. There are there are plenty of indie platformers you can find out there too. But, like, it is wild the degree to which this thing that, you know, a decade, more than that, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, this genre that made up a huge portion of games that were coming out between, you know, your Mario games, your, you know, collectathons, uh, a la Banjo-Kazooie and Jack and Daxter, that had plenty of platforming elements, your Sonic games, and then the more realistic side of things, things like the early Assassin's Creed games and, you know, Prince of Persia, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Those are just kind of gone outside of like a couple tentpole franchises keeping the genre gasping for breath. Yeah, I mean, like, God, I was about to point to Uncharted, but the last Uncharted game was six years ago, I think. Yeah, and even then, Uncharted, like, I, I, grain of salt, I have played very little of any of the Uncharted games, uh-huh. but my memory of them and my memory of watching them is it, it's much less, you know, freeform platforming and more like figuring out the path of handholds, if I'm remembering well, I, correctly. Well, I would say the same thing about Prince of Persia, if I'm being honest. It's just that Prince of Persia, A, was less linear, because, uh, like, there were some rooms that just felt puzzle-oriented. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. Prince of Persia had more variety to what, like, because those games were still ultimately about movement, whereas um, yeah. Uncharted, when I called it a platformer, I don't really mean that I think it's, it, it's a third-person shooter with, like, a sense of some platforming elements. to it. Yeah. yeah. That makes, um, that, that, that tracks. And, and the point is very valid about Prince of Persia. I guess... I know we, we were talking about this before we started recording, but thinking uh-huh. even about like Prince of Persia 2008, like it's platforming sections in a very real sense almost felt more like playing a rhythm game because yeah. it was very much like you have a different button input for each kind of platforming element you run into. And so stringing them together smoothly became more about like muscle memory and timing and rhythm than it was like, you know. You weren't doing sick cappy tech like you were in Mario right. Odyssey. Right, right. Uh, but still, like, the, the, the core engagement there was that sense of, of movement and physicality and momentum. And that's something that, like, you know, the early Assassin's Creed games really had going for them with the way that they structured their parkour and the way that you kind of had to, like, in real time figure out the best way to, to traverse the world and... Again, elements of that are still around, and there are, you know, there are still people, and we, we had offshoots of this with things like Mirror's Edge, and we're still getting it with, like, Sonic Frontiers, which came out, you know, five days ago or so, or whatever. But it, it's interesting, it was just, again, that was sort of the catalyst for this idea of, like, wow, this used to be a way bigger chunk of what was going on. And, like, Assassin's Creed in particular, like, yeah, again, I've played a little bit of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I've played a little bit of Valhalla, like, it's still there. But like now you have now now you get on your horse and you ride across, you know, an open world and you get in your boat and you sail somewhere and long gone are the days of like you this is in a densely packed 
city slash jungle gym that you have to navigate as your primary like form of engagement with the world. Right. It's it's certainly a bit of a shame because I, I fondly remember the platformers I grew up on were uh, Jack and Dexter, Sly Cooper. Oh, uh, Sly Cooper. Hell yeah. 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 Um, Sonic. Uh, Sonic Adventure 2 specifically. Um, there was a there was a big one that uh, my brain's just. Oh, I loved renting uh, Rayman 2. That was one of my favorites. OK. Yeah. I never played many of the Rayman games until was it Legacy? Was that the uh, Legends? Yes, there was, Legends. There was Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends. Rayman Legends is the one that I I got into for a little bit, but I didn't play many of the ones that came before that. Mm. Um, yeah, I would rent the Nintendo sixty four version of Rayman two all the time, and I think I had the Game Boy demake of the first game on my Game Boy Color. But yeah, no, uh, I I loved Rayman two. Uh, just a very it's ported to like everything now, or it was ported to everything back in the day, but I don't know what it's available on now, but I, I kind of want to go back because, <laughs> you know, this is a conversation on back. nostalgia, I suppose. What are the other things that made you go like, oh, hell yeah, when I brought up this possibility as a, as a topic? Yeah, so, um, God, I got I to gotta remember now. <laughs> but um, I, I guess let's talk about platformers for a second, though. Hell yeah. Like, what, what do you think... Um, I, I guess, like, the appeal of platformers, like, two decades ago, uh, certainly was that um, there was a lot of variety to environments, and there was a lot of creativity and cartoon-like bounciness to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of it comes down to, like, there is certainly an element to which, like, and I think we talked about this on a not-recent episode, or either that, or I was just ranting at you about it. Okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> There is a degree to which I think the the cost of making games, especially in the AAA space, has gotten so high that there's like this, you know, demanded return on investment from the companies that are making them. Mm-hmm. And the technology that exists to sort of assist in the game making process has increased so much in the worlds of things like motion capture, performance capture. And all of this is sort of leading again, particularly the AAA industry into more and more of like the world of, you know, the big prestige game releases, your PS4 Spider-Man's, your Gods of War, uh, Mm -hmm. your Last of Us remake part eight. And I think that that being so much of what the field is, that just kind of like sucks a lot of the air out of the room in terms of like what can get produced. But also then, you know, not just from like a monetary standpoint, but also like when you have entire studios who like, you know, 90% of what they do is built around these tools of, you know, building around motion capture, animating motion capture or animating on top of motion capture rigs, uh, creating worlds for that kind of and level design and environments for that kind of motion and animation to exist within that kind of runs counter to a lot of the larger than life stuff that comes out of you know especially the older school platformers Mm -hmm. you can't have someone mocap mario (laughs) although you can't have someone mocap crash bandicoot and obviously like the usual grain of salt i am not a game developer i've done i've been getting into mocap a little bit at least on the training end so i have a little bit of, of room to talk here um but like obviously that's not everything because uncharted assassin's creed those are much even prince of persia to a certain degree those are much more 
grounded in at least like a semblance of reality and you can get some performance capture stuff there but i i do think that a big part of it is just like i think sonic adventure 2 was mo-capped but that explains why those characters move so weirdly (laughs) all right all right uh performance capture artists come here here are your enormous boots you will be wearing these for the duration of the project (laughs) don't forget your enormous hamburger helper gloves yeah (laughs) <laughs> the the capture suits were just mascot suits. It's fine. That's hilarious. No, I I don't know if that's the case, but oh my uh, god, I I remember All right, uh, three, two, one, T pose. <laughs> a real thing that you have to do as a performance capture artist. I have learned. We we were watching uh, or I was watching New Frame Plus uh, and I think Dan was saying like he was playing Sonic Adventure two and he was like, hold on a second, is that mo capped? <laughs> <laughs> so god what a what a great youtube channel go yeah. watch everybody go watch everything that new frame plus is putting out support support the man very fast um, and loose episode we got going on yeah right really <laughs> not sponsored just a fan um <laughs> but yeah like i i don't know i i rambled for a bit there but i do think that's a big part of it and then also mm-hmm. like i don't know maybe maybe we were running to an end of like what the genre could support but like i don't know mario odyssey came out well what, I mean, five years it, ago, it, it was certainly fatigue, right? Because like, yeah, you know, I think when we were fans of platformers, uh, kids who had grown up with that genre were kind of not into that anymore. For and sure. And I mean, they we had to make we, that we see, our problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we see fatigue like that. I mean, shortly after that was the period of like the first person shooter was the genre and like. You know, first-person shooters are still alive and well, but they are not the poster child of what video games are anymore the way they were in, like, the late 2000s into, like, very early 2010s. Yeah, now that's Fortnite. That's a (laughs) third-person shooter. It's different. Yeah, again, there's going to be some some genre shift and genre fatigue for sure. Mm -hmm. I I guess uh, when when I think about platformers, uh, though, I think there is something appealing, like... Obviously, we're talking about 3D platformers. I don't know if we specified that, but I feel like it's important to. Yeah. Um, the the thing yeah, about 2D, 3D platformers are fine. The, yeah. the indie scene is making sure of that. Yeah. And like we're, we're getting 3D platformers now. Like they're making a comeback. Uh, we got a hat in time. We have. Oh, God. There's like four or five uh, platformers I could send you uh, titles for, Chris, but I don't have them right now. Um, they're out there. Indie devs are yeah, firmly they're, they're, in the Nintendo 64 us. era of this feedback loop that we are going <laughs> through. Um, but yeah, I, I think there, there's something super appealing about how they rendered space and how, you know, like that was the genre to do it uh, when people were first figuring out 3D versus now that 3D has become more standardized. It's like, you know whoop de doo you jump. Why can't I steal a car <laughs> or shoot a dude? <laughs> um. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, You can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So I I was going to bring up, like, the adventure game genre. Okay, yes, say more words. Yeah, because I was walking my friend CJ through the first couple hours of Metroid Prime, which I would say 
more so than a platformer that is firmly an adventure game yeah it's also one of the better three like first person platformers ever made yes i would think so i can't think of a lot of other first person platformers besides like jumping flash for the playstation one speaking as someone who loves og half-life Anytime that game made you jump to solve puzzles, it was not good. Oh, dude. I... And Prime, Prime makes jumping in first person feel great. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, certainly. Uh, so I guess, like, similar to what we said about platformers, like, adventure games were kind of first and foremost about, like, navigating space, but, like, done so in a different way. Instead of, like, directly interacting with the environment in, like, if I jump on this thing, it'll throw me here, or I can swing on that vine, or blah, 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 what have you. Um, adventure games are kind of more restrictive in their design. Um, they're based on a series of if-then statements where you need to find a key item, find the lock that key item is supposed to go to, whether that is an NPC, uh, a door, or you just need to trigger an event uh, in, yeah. the, in the game's script. Like, they they are very rigid, so I understand why they are not as common as they used to be. That being said, I, I think they're, like, for a while, that was the way to play a game with a story, right? Like, yeah. if, if a game was, like, going all in on story, uh, they would kind of be adventure games. You would have your mist. You would have the, the Zelda games up until very recently. Yeah, um, Monkey Island and Grim Fandango, you've yeah, got... Mon- uh metro prime like i said uh even you know you can look at metal gear solid and metal gear solid is like really an adventure game with stealth elements yeah and then like absolutely. metal gear solid 2 up the stealth elements and then metal gear solid 3 dropped the adventure game uh <laughs> and uh you know it was see- seeing the evolution of that series has been really interesting survival horror games i would say are or horror games in general i would say are a splinter of adventure like there's a lot i mean like genre uh, names don't mean anything obviously yeah uh, resident evil like og resident evil is is full-on like tweak two things and give it a different input setting or means of inputting and it's a point-and-click adventure game with jump scares like yeah Yeah, absolutely they're they're they that game is is adventure game through and through yeah uh um and i was actually playing uh signalis chris uh that's uh, oh i've heard that it's really good it's very good i i beat it yesterday um i gotta i'll i'll have to go through it again uh eventually very dense story but um anyway yeah no i, I so signalis like signalis is a horror game in the style of classic resident evil with a more uh isometric perspective reminiscent of metal gear solid and you know um that's that the adventure game design kind of survives in that genre um but outside of that you really don't have a lot of um adventure game series in the more traditional sense um sometimes you'll have games that kind of think outside the box like um outer wilds or um paradise killer uh that's one i've heard good things about uh that one's kind of like a visual novel adventure game hybrid uh, yeah or what what was that uh what was that puzzle-solving murder mystery game on the Switch with, like, the time travel elements? Oh, shoot. I know what you're talking about. I'm drawing a blank on the name, and that's going to kill me. Uh, um, Sexy Brutal. That's what it was yeah, called. Yeah, Sexy Brutal was a great sort of classic adventure game-feeling little puzzle game. Yeah. 
I think that's the interesting thing about adventure games is that like platforming is a genre it, it is is such a like core sort of like easy to identify like gameplay nugget mm-hmm. that it is very easy to see like the dearth of it in many games and how you know there are those exceptions like your Sonic Frontiers that really and Mario Odyssey and and Hat in Time and these games that are are keeping it alive but like it's a very visible piece. Mm-hmm. Adventure games are so interesting because, like, so much of that DNA is still out there in games. Like, yeah, there's just, elements it's been incorporated of incorporated into, um, like, I guess, like, adventure game is not really a descriptive genre term. Yeah, which is like, it's it's frustrating because it is it is such a an ephemeral sounding right thing, um, and yet. As someone who grew up playing a lot of them, I know exactly what it means. I just can't really like. It's hard to express they're, in adventure games. Are like they're they're puzzle games. Like they yeah. they are they are games which you are a character. Um, you are playing the role of the main character of a story, and I think that's kind of what makes adventure games unique. Is that as I was playing Signalis to solve puzzles, I had to pay keen attention to the fiction of the story. And yeah. I don't think that's something you really do in a lot of other games. In most modern games that are story driven, it's not that like you need you're not paying attention to the story because you need to solve a puzzle or know where to go. You are paying attention to the story because the game literally stops so that you have to pay attention to the story yeah. or builds in my my favorite trick. Uh, I was replaying a little bit of, of God of War 2018 recently uh-huh. uh, because all of the talk of of uh Ragnarok had me kind of like nostalgic for it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it still. I don't. I'm. I. I played a few hours and then did not feel particularly like moved to continue. It's no on. Sifu. <laughs> it, I mean, it's not. <laughs> I know. I know. Just... Very different sort of core engagement, but like God of War loves to have you climb along a uh, a crevice on the wall where you have to go a certain speed. Because that lets them know that they can get X amount of dial of expository dialogue in before you start punching open chests and throwing your axe around and being being a, a video game player again. They love that trick. They use platforming to to speed gate you so that they can get all their dialogue in, and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, that I I feel like that was a technique that was really more or less. I mean, it's been around since. Uh, Prince of Persia, but uh, oh yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been around forever. Such a degree. Any um, game, any game with an elevator, that yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I don't know. It's it is the adventure game thing is so interesting because like as we're talking about it, I keep thinking like, okay, well, I saw like bits of that in like more recent you know Assassin's Creed games or like oh, there's a little bit of that in like your Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring and this that and that, but it is like a game where that is the core thing that you do is such a rarity nowadays where it's about like you said paying attention to the world really investing yourself in what the game world is telling you and how it's presenting its information and how you can use the tools at your disposal to interact with that world like that that is a kind of game engagement that like isn't really asked of of players much anymore right and i mean like again it's it's kind of 
evenly dispersed through a lot of modern genres like you can find a little bit of um adventure game design in um particularly jrpgs but i would i would even say western rpgs have it uh as well the odd uh platformer that comes out every now and then um like i i know a hat in time has like a murder mystery uh segment uh that has like light adventure game elements to it like psychonauts psychonauts yeah like very much um an adventure game that has platforming now oh yeah you know it's not like the market is saturated with psychonauts sequels no in fact psychonauts psychonauts 2 coming out uh was for me a frabjous day (laughs) yes but also, I don't think we're likely to get a Psychonauts 3 anytime soon. No, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, as we said, it's just, it, is, it is an interesting thing to see this genre that, like, again, it's not dead. Genres, I don't think, ever really die. Uh, there was a time, there was a time when, like, that was an accepted form of game design. Um, like... It, it was an accepted genre in and of itself, but I guess as games got more sophisticated and were able to diversify their appeal more. Um, yeah. A game that is almost exclusively about collecting things and knowing where to put what thing um, really only exists in Phoenix Wright and other visual novels like that. I was just thinking like, like Phoenix Wright and like Ghost Trick. Yeah, Ghost Trick. Um, I think 999 works that way. I think. Yeah. Like, like, again, see, in the same vein that, like, Psychonauts 2 was such a a special treat for dorks like me who are nostalgic for it. See also how excited I and several of of our friends were when that, uh, the new Monkey Island game came out. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, we get another Monkey Island game because that's just not the kind of game that gets made much anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess, like, that's another thing, like, when, when I played Monkey Island, I was, like, super impressed by the quality of the writing, and I feel like an adventure game is the type of game where its success or failure kind of hinges on how well all of the elements work together. Yeah. Because, like, if any one thing is off, it's, like, you know, it's not, like, a Sonic game where you're, like, okay, well, this is a glitchy, buggy mess with bad voice acting and a shoddy script, um, but it's also really fucking fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, with, with, um, if Monkey Island was any worse, like if the writing was any worse, um, if the visuals weren't as like animated and expressive as they were, like, you know, if anything was not as tight as it is in that final product, the whole thing would have went up in smoke. Oh right? yeah. They are, they are very much the kind of game that like, it's not a, like, more or less than the sum of its parts. It is entirely dependent on the sum of its parts. Yeah. Like, it needs the writing and the animation and the vibe and, like, every little piece to, like, line up right. Yeah. Uh, like, both for the appeal factor and because, like you said earlier, they are they are hinged on, like, getting you to care and to engage closely enough to figure things out. Yeah. Like, um, I revisited... I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I, I revisited Star Fox Adventures um, a couple years ago, just like as like a pandemic, like, oh, I got this game for my eighth birthday. I'm going to, uh, you know, just blow through it really quick just for uh, the, the comfort food of it all. 
Star Fox Adventures 2 is a confounding adventure game. <laughs> it, it kind of boggles my mind. Confounding is a very good word for that product. Because <laughs> it's like, it's almost like, you know how we, we talk about how like adventure game genre norms have gotten incorporated into every other genre of game? Yeah. Um, Star Fox Adventures is an adventure game that tries to like it tries to take from a bunch of other genres uh like no most notably rail shooters but also platformers it is a yeah. zelda game where instead of solving puzzles you are finding the right key item for the right npc and then also just running a bunch of obstacle courses <laughs> in a game where you can't jump I forgot. I always forget that you can't jump. I always forget that they took that piece of Zelda design too. Right. It's so it's like you know, even in Majora's Mask, when you're running an obstacle course, like all the transformations have interesting movement options. Fox doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like fly through all these ring, like run this obstacle course in two minutes or otherwise you'll have to do it all over again is not a particularly invigorating piece of level design <laughs> <laughs> but i did like i did it anyway um in the year of our lord 2020 or 2021 or whatever um because yo dog nostalgia is a hell of a drug and god if that if the art for that game is not breathtaking. Right. The enormous Dinotopia vibes. Absolutely. Um, and so, and that, that's always kind of been the appeal of adventure games. Uh, it's, it is really kind of about the vibes and like wanting to inhabit this space. Yeah. Um, and I guess if, if this, if there is a thesis statement for this kind of rambly, kind of navel gazy episode, yeah. <laughs> I would say that, like, we don't... I feel like modern games, um... And maybe this is the reason why I'm nostalgic for Star Fox Adventures. Um, modern games feel like they take you on a tour of a virtual space. But, like, even Star Fox Adventures, for all of its many problems, I think something that all these platformers and adventure games we're talking about do is that they allow you to explore the space. Yeah. Yeah, I mean to to tie this to a more modern game, as I've been I'm, I've been thinking about sort of the games I've been playing over the last year, just because this is a year where I've I've played more, sort of current games as they've been coming out than I have in a while. Mm -hmm. I think that was what was so appealing to me about Stray. Mm, I could see that Stray has a lot of adventure game DNA in it, and like. There's a degree to which it has a lot of the more modern day kind of like let us take you by the hand and show you through this world game design, but it never they do a really good job of kind of hiding that. And so even in the more linear moments, even in the moments where like they are guiding you through, they're guiding you through with like an interesting world and cleverly placed lighting to help you see the next platform you need to get to. They're guiding you through with, like, you know, an NPC that they characterize well and get you to care about who, who asks you to do these things for them. It has... It is probably the closest thing to, like, a Grim Fandango that I have played in the last ten years. And hmm. I think that... 
I hadn't put this together until literally now as we're having this conversation, but I think that's a big part of why. I think that it really feels like it is tied into and and engaging with me using a lot of the, the toolkit of games that I grew up with in that sort of more classic adventure game sort of, of mm-hmm. genre. Yeah, I feel like, similar to what you were saying, Stray being a survival horror game, and even... um. Even the Resident Evil uh, games as of late, like, well, all of them, really. Uh, I, I think th- there is something about Signalis specifically that even the... Um, I've only played Resident Evil 2 Remake. I haven't played 7, 8, or uh, 3 Remake. My understanding is that 7 and 8 both really leaned back into a lot of the more adventure gamey vibes, yeah, too. they super do, but I, I feel like... There's a distinct difference, um, and it's it's not like it's not a case of being better or worse, um, mm-hmm. but like I I think there's a certain je ne sais quoi um, <laughs> that uh, Signalis has that it shares in common with those older survival horror titles that uh, what I've seen of Resident Evil Seven and Eight don't quite have resident evil 8 in particular um they kind of segment the different areas a little bit more um uh but i i gotta think about with resident evil 7 maybe it's maybe it's level detail maybe i'm just crazy maybe i'm just crazy (laughs) maybe i'm just being nostalgic because resident evil 7 is in first person perspective and you know uh isn't um but I guess Resident Evil 2 Remake, which I have played, actually, okay, maybe this is what it is. Resident Evil 2 Remake specifically um, has Mr. X, who, uh, during certain the, moments of the game... The enormous detective, my best friend. Yes, uh, during moments of the game, he'll follow you around. And so you never really feel like you have a moment of uh, respite. Is it respite? I thought it was respite. Uh, no, it. I, I think, I think, I'm not sure. I think it's respite i could be wrong i was laughing because now i all i can <laughs> the internet has poisoned my brain and now when i think of mr x all i can think of is that mod someone put into the re2 remake where <laughs> he just projects x gonna give it to you yeah. <laughs> so you know how close he is based on how loud you can hear dmx <laughs> Sorry, that just that came hurtling back into my brain with a great deal of force. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, that's fair. I feel like Resident Evil 2 Remake has moments where it feels like it dips in its toe into that that more modern trope of like, "All right, now you're doing this." Like you're in the sewer level. Oh, now you're running from a giant alligator. Um, you're exploring the mansion, but ooh, now there's a guy chasing you. Um, yeah. It feels like it, it's afraid of the player getting bored, in a way. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, all right, boom, here's that spice. Keep you on your toes. Um, Signalis, like, yes, uh, you. none of the enemies you kill, you can kill permanently unless you have a special item. So it doesn't have that same problem of being afraid of boring the player. But I feel like even considering that, there's just a feeling of like consistency, like internal consistency within the game. 
Which is weird because like that game also has like these kind of set piece moments, but like they're more quiet and introspective. I don't know. This is definitely bias talking. Yeah, don't take absolutely. anything I say seriously. This podcast, uh, you know, <laughs> you signed the waiver <laughs> when you downloaded the MP3 file. <laughs> You're not allowed to get mad at us for our opinions. <laughs> So, I don't know. I'm just rambling now. Let's take me home, Chris. <laughs> yeah, let's I I think we can call it there. This this I thought this was going to be more of a grab bag episode and then we ended up kind of waxing poetic about adventure games for a while there, but hey, I'm I'm down for a a free form navel gaze fest. Uh that's what we're good at. Know. Yeah, that's it's our core competency. Uh, <laughs> hey, you out there, thank you for listening. Be sure uh Dylan will tell you where to find us on social media in just a second. Be sure to let us know. I would love to hear some people talking about their either a genre or a a gameplay mechanic that you don't see around anymore that you miss or your like adventure game. I don't know. Hot takes uh, feelings, vibes, games that uh, you hold near and dear to your heart fall into that kind of like really trying to draw you into the space sort of flavor. if there's games out there that do that that I'm not aware of, I want to know about them so I can play them because they make me happy. Uh, so let us know. And in the meantime, until next time, I hope you enjoyed listening to Backstage Gaming. We enjoyed talking to you. We enjoyed talking to each other. We enjoyed having you here to listen to us. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please do consider that wherever you find us, whether that's on Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever... Uh, consider leaving a rating or review, telling your friends and family and other people in your life that like games and like thinking too much about them uh, that we're here and that we're doing that for them. <laughs> um, and maybe they'll enjoy it too. Also, you can find out more about us by going to our website, bsgpod.com. That is where you can find out info about the show. You can find info about me and Dylan. You can find a contact form if you want to reach out to us directly. All that good kind of stuff. Or you can reach out on social media, Dylan. Yeah, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, also, if you want to talk to us about anything, really, uh, what are some genres that you like that don't really exist anymore um, or have diminished over the, the cruel passage of time? I yeah. should have talked about shmups. Whatever. Moving on. <laughs> um, it's not like I'm nostalgic for those. I got yeah. into them. We'll have to recently. do. We should do like a shmup episode with you at some point. I think so. Um, like diving into the the genre. I think that'd maybe, be fun. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, because I I do have some things to talk about. Uh, I should recommend you a couple shmups, and you should play them. But anyway, until then, uh, if you could use the hashtag #BSGPod, we'd be super grateful. It gets a little bit more eyes on us. Gets drives that engagement off if you know what I'm saying. The algorithm. If the Twitter al- even exists in two weeks, who knows? We'll see. Um, but also huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art they have provided our show. If you dig their stuff, you can check them out at Brennan-French.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen french.squarespace.com you can also find them on instagram.com slash brennan french arts and on their twitter at brennan underscore french you should also go check out our friend bio query he's the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality and you can find out more info about him and more of his great music by uh checking out his soundcloud soundcloud.com slash bio query that's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. 
Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They are a great group of podcasts about video games, and if you like us, you're sure to like some of them, too. Check them out on Twitter, at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for helping us keep the lights on, helping us keep the website up, helping us not lose too much money on this show. It really means the world to us to have the support that we do. And if you like the show and want to support it in a very direct and uh, immediately recognizable way, Patreon is a great way to do that. So please consider that. And with all that out of the way, thank you again for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. And uh, till then, goodbye. Yeah, take care, everyone. <laughs>